Neil Patrick Harris is a true renaissance man. You know him as the beloved Doogie Howser, MD, and as Barney Stinson on the CBS sitcom, How I Met Your Mother. His film credits also include Starship Troopers, the Harold and Kumar series, Gone Girl, and a series of unfortunate events. Neil Patrick Harris is no stranger to Broadway. His stage credits include Rent, Cabaret, Assassins, and Hedwig and the Angry Inch. He is the author of a memoir and The Magic Misfits, a series of young adult novels. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, you've been at the creative process for quite some time now. From I mean, you grew up in New Mexico. Just explain that whole process. It's not, you know. Well, I mean, my creative process has been a little unique. Yes. Because I grew up acting when I was younger, when I was probably 12 or 13 years mm -hmm. old, in a, from a small town in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um and in that context, I was more learning a creative process and figuring out how to be a passenger on a very fast-moving creative train and seem like I wasn't uh, holding anyone back. So yeah. my job initially for a while um, was to fake it till you make it. I didn't mm -hmm. really have the opportunities to be creating my own... Uh, content or uh, visions of any sort right but I was also 15 14 yeah. 15 16 years old so that was kind of part and parcel and then as I became an adult and um, and as I got older because I'm very old now <laughs> I don't think I'm 45 so. years old well but you've had a long career for that so it seems longer it but feels you're, like you're I'm 90 yeah uh, but but I think only recently have I been able I guess as a grown-up person and a father um, to have a more declared creative process mm -hmm. because otherwise as an actor probably unique to acting mm -hmm. I'm thinking about all of the other people that you've interviewed mm -hmm. and it steers a lot towards people who took the onus to create their own yeah. uh, identity as an actor, now, yeah, but as an actor, you, you're often um, you're often at the whims of other people's identity, yeah. right? A, mm -hmm. a casting director will hire you because sure. they want you to perform a script someone else wrote and be directed mm -hmm. by a director mm -hmm. that is giving you uh, uh, motivation and ideas and intention of how they want you to be. So it's a sort of backwards creative process. So it's only yeah. sort of now that um, that I've worked enough, I suppose and have enough under my belt that I'm able to uh, be more specific and declare my own individuality creatively sure. without it just saying it and putting it out into the world and having nothing happening. <laughs> yeah, well, though I have to say, thinking of your roles, we were just talking about this um, before we began. Uh, you know, they've been so varied, and I think roles like Hedwig and you mean, they're just so varied. Mm. I do feel like you have, even if the lines are not of your creation or that there must be some improvisation there's so many spaces for you to articulate with you know those are pretty challenging roles yeah for sure for sure um and a lot of the roles that i've done especially on stage have been done by someone else before yes i was mark in the second national tour of rent i did um 
I did Proof with Anne Haich, but it had been done before with Mary Louise Parker. I was the MC in Cabaret, but it had been done by Alan Cumming before me. Like so, there, um, so that's an, an interesting additional hurdle is yeah. not just uh, creating something from scratch, but figuring out how to recreate something from scratch. Mm. And my yeah. process is really just, I'm a bit of an information whore. Uh -huh. Can I say whore on this podcast? You can say whore. Okay. I think so. It's a kind of biblical term. <laughs> Fucking glad I can. Oh, sorry. Can I say glad? Um, so, I, it is a biblical term. I, uh, I, like, I like as much information as possible. Yeah. Um, and I say that in reference to having someone else performed the part before. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not the kind of actor person who wants to exist in a bubble. I'm interested in knowing. Oh, great! That's a great choice. I can steal that, or I can. I don't have to work so hard because I see where the previous actor went, and that was a perfect, great place. But mm -hmm. also, oh, I I recognize that there might be room to grow and do different things in this space that this actor didn't necessarily uh, do. Right. So I tend to compartmentalize and do a lot of thinking uh, mm -hmm. and approach things from a bunch of varied angles. I'm probably a weird actor. Yeah. I'm probably a unique and unique yes. in the actor world because right. I don't just, I'm not, I don't consider myself a, a, a live wire free conduit of creativity that uh, I need other people to help me harness. Right. I, I also try to think about how I can be the most effective uh, given given the parameters of the art that I'm helping create. Right. No, I think that's so important. And you kind of hinted at it, so I don't know. Are, are you doing some writing now that we haven't? Uh, are you working on some projects where you'll also be taking a directorial? Because you're kind of... Sure, yeah. Well, I've, I'm... I'm two books into a four book uh, of course series you're a writer. Yeah. Uh, called The Magic Misfits which is interesting because that's more for a younger demographic yeah. like I didn't mean I meant for a stage but of course you yeah, are a yeah. writer and you've done your no, memoir I want to talk about I that too I did a memoir as well yeah, yeah. but that's, an, that's a weird interesting that's an unusual memoir as well I have to say yeah. the structure was <laughs> yeah. unique yeah I wrote it as a choose your own adventure um, but, but uh, in, in many ways I found writing I find writing for a younger demographic almost more challenging, mm. even though the vocabulary might be simpler, the ideas are, uh, des uh, deserve and are allowed to be cleaner. Mm -hmm. You're also writing for people who don't haven't read a lot, so you're yes. potentially um, impacting them in a way that can have lasting effect in a way that I don't think writing the same kind of fiction as for adults might might have sure no we're imprinted on by those early books yeah. that we read like it's amazing how much i remember of just those books and I, and why because i've read so many things since then so it's no it is special yeah so that was fun but again i didn't really feel like my creative process for that was not just sit and write and write and write and write and write and turn sure. it in i was thinking about okay well there's interesting opportunities here mm -hmm. i can create a world as a writer i can create characters within but I can also create sentence structures that are long enough that they're that they're challenging, but not so long that they're daunting. I mm -hmm. can create uh, a vocabulary push that allows people to want to know and feel that they're smart because they're learning 
new words, but not so much so that it makes them feel like they've chosen mm -hmm. the wrong book and they need to read yeah. something else. I can teach magic tricks. Magic, yes. Which is a, then becomes its own whole thing because yeah. now now they're reading, but they're also developing a skill set, which includes mm -hmm. other things. So um, I, was, I kind of looked at it at writing from a, more of a producerial p position, from mm -hmm. an educator's position. Mm -hmm. So I suppose that's more my, my process. If I'm right. doing Hedwig and I'm an actor on stage and, I'm, and I never leave the stage and it's, and it's kind of overwhelming and, and uh, in its breadth, rock mm -hmm. and roll, punk rock, loud, singing, mm -hmm. you know, different gender. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I would process that in a lot of different ways. I'd be doing the show as authentically as I could every night. I'd be highly aware of the band, uh, the girl who played Yitzhak, and sort of making sure we're all okay. Yeah. Protective, but also, and keeping that energy engaged. Uh, highly aware of the audience's reaction, right. because that that becomes comparative from night mm -hmm. to night. So you, if mm -hmm. if you get three good laughs in a row, fifteen times in a row, mm -hmm. <laughs> then on the sixteenth time you don't, you have mm -hmm. to be still acting, but also processing. Okay. What's the, yeah. what's the variable here? Okay, yeah. And also uh, being, I guess, in physical good uh, health uh, so that it feels like it's fresh, even though you're replicating things, lines and, and, and songs. And then also try to get out of my head enough to be actually enjoying the artistic process and not just be too concerned about everything else going on. Well, it's quite a magic trick in itself to make it all seem effortless while at the mm. same time aware of all those sp plate spinning, yeah? Yeah, plate spinner. <laughs> yeah. That's me. If I had uh, a job in the circus, it would definitely be that. Uh, no, so it's it, it's very interesting. So so you're a writer on one hand, and you do the, the, the musical theater, and you you have a, your beginnings in television. And, um, I'm just thinking about the, the trajectory of these roles, uh, you know, Doogie Howser, MD, and... I mean, this is what you're saying. Each role is so vastly different. Do you, is it your objective always to make each role vastly different from the last, or it's just what comes to you? Hmm. I don't know. I, I think it was a, a fortunate objective, mm -hmm. probably because Doogie Howser was on at a time when television actors were only on television mm -hmm. and movie actors didn't really go into TV. Mm -hmm. And if you were branded as one, you weren't really allowed to go mm -hmm. to the other. So because that happened to me at such an early age, it became a weird um, double-edged sword in a way because I was mm -hmm. very proud of the work. It was Stephen Bochco, once single camera, a lot of hard work, and we were really proud of it, and it was a mm -hmm. successful show. At the same time, I it was a cautionary tale because I then needed to not feel like I could only do that singular thing for the rest of my life, sure, yeah. which I wouldn't mind doing if I was 35, yeah. but when you're doing it at 16 and yeah. you're, uh, as a human being, figuring out who you are, who you mm -hmm. want to be, looking for breadth, mm -hmm. not myopic focus, right? Yeah. Uh, I became very intrigued with, um, with what else can I do? Mm -hmm. And I don't say that out of... Um, uh, some sort of disrespect or desire, uh, unhappiness in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I just thought, okay, well, I've, I've done this for four years. It's great. What else? You know, 
what else? Theater? Theater would be great. There's no cameras. I can move my whole body. I don't have to stand yeah. in one place. Uh, so I did theater for a while. And you go, oh, that's great. And what about movies would be so cool to be in a movie? Yeah. Uh, on location and somewhere in the middle of the world. And yeah. there's, you can really spend a lot of time on one scene and then you never have to do it again. How exciting would that be? Yeah. But I also like kind of, it turns me on to, to, uh, to confront uh, fears or challenges and mm -hmm. uh, and to expand my skill set. Right. I don't know. I look at people who are a generation older than myself, uh -huh. even two generations older, and I'm so Im inspired by those that are still learning or at least have the mindset of of not thinking they've learned it all. Right, yes. I get, you know what I mean? Even in... in um, in painters or, or contemporary artists. Yes. When I see someone doing the just the same painting mm -hmm. that made them successful over mm -hmm. and over their whole career, I'm impressed by it. Mm -hmm. But it makes me just kind of question them about is that all are they have they settled? Do they realize that they've gotten lauded for this singular type of painting and mm -hmm. so therefore they're going to continue to do that. That's what they're going to be that's going to be their stamp or mm -hmm. are they afraid to try something totally new because they don't want to be known for too many varied things? Yeah. I wonder that. Well, with painters, more it becomes more so. And I think with actors, of course, that, that is a thing. But uh, sometimes there's that leeway. Um, I just came from an interview with Tony Walton, and he's done. Uh, oh, he yeah. was talking about wow. all the different things. And uh, it was interesting because some of the things you talk about, the extreme research, he was talking about different people he worked with, uh, Sidney Lumet. Mm. And, and and so he still seems to have that playfulness. And, and I think, for me, I always wonder that as well, that you can be accused, actually, of why are you not consistent or whatever. But I feel in some way, some part of you, unless you're very satisfied, like you're some, some artists are obsessive-compulsive. Mm -hmm. So it's actually that's... What they need but to they, do. Yeah, that's what excites them. But I do wonder, is some part of them dead? The childlike part that makes turns us into artists. Mm -hmm. I want, yeah, yeah, I wonder the same thing. Magicians, yeah. historically, uh -huh. will do, you know, they'll get an act when they're teenagers or something, and then right. they'll go around to magic, uh, uh, magic competitions and win FISM or win some big competition. And then they tend to just do that 12-minute act. They yeah. go around cruise ships and... And they can make decent money, but I feel sometimes if I've seen that act 15 years before and I'm still seeing the same act 15 years later, I kind of wish they'd learn some new moves. I, I, I <laughs> Just challenge I, themselves. Do you know what I mean? I want I want to learn more about magic. I don't want. I was I saw a bit that you did on Ellen. And I thought of you know Tommy Cooper. Do you mm -hmm. like? No, I don't. I wonder if this is this kind of a purist school of magicians or like he was like a comedian musician mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or m magician, magician excuse yeah. me my tongue i'm tongue tied um <laughs> like does that do you like acts like that or yeah i fit squarely in the middle yeah. i i think there's two schools of magician yeah. especially right now there's those that mm -hmm. um that think of magic uh in line with commerce mm -hmm. that um we need to we need to be able to teach younger generations or people interested in magic uh, how to do magic so that it thrives and maintains the zeitgeisty kind of uh, appreciation. Then there's people who think that if you want to be a magician, you need to dig deep mm -hmm. to find out the secrets, mm -hmm. that it's a learned skill, that you don't really 
get respect unless you have um, shown that you deserve respect. Mm -hmm. So in the card magician world, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of tricks you can do with with very little skill, right. uh, with gimmicked cards, with uh, sequencing, but not real uh, sleight of hand dexterity. But then there's other things that you can only do mm -hmm. if you've sat there for hundreds of hours right. practicing how to make three cards look like one, how to mm -hmm. take a card from the bottom and lift it to the top of the deck without someone noticing. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting where, uh, where people fall on that line. I'm kind of in the middle. People think I'm a really good magician. Some do, mm -hmm. and I'm not. But I, I pick my battles. Yeah. I get to do magic on Ellen. So yeah. then a million people think I suddenly know how to do magic when I really just kind of did a singular thing one time. But yeah. <laughs> I'm not complaining. That's my subterfuge. It's interesting. I just need to talk about some of your more recent roles, a series on unfortunate events. Mm. So I think of Gone Girl. I mean, again, vastly different roles. And what you know, where do you have to go to to inhabit those characters? Well, it was right around that time, uh, right around sort of Gone Girl, maybe the end of How I Met Your Mother, which is a TV oh, yes, show that we I did. Oh, talk about that. Uh, where I felt empowered to make big acting choices. Mm. And with that came, with that freedom came more opportunities to do bigger acting choices. Mm. I don't, I'm trying to think, I'm pausing for a second because I'm trying to think if if that's unique to the actor and it probably is because if you if you try too hard as an actor mm -hmm. in a scene and you're trying too hard it, it feels like you're overacting mm -hmm. and then you get hired less or they say okay i see what you're doing just just do it regular normal yeah. <laughs> but i've gotten to do uh jobs that uh that are far from normal right barney stinson was this character on how i met your mother yeah. and he was very big granted it was a multi-camera sitcom with a mm -hmm. laugh track and uh, and so it was supposed to be kind of heightened, but the character yeah. that I was playing had his own vocabulary. Had his he was he always wore suits. He was yeah. the life of the party. He was yeah. always drinking scotch and just a, a, full of adventure. And so the writers would write uh, scenarios and punchlines, uh -huh. assuming that I would take it and do something elevated in some way. I mean, there mm -hmm. they were already funny jokes to begin with, but then. Uh, I would take these softballs and try and whack them out of the park <laughs> as often as I could. So I got to do that for a long time. But again, then I feel like I'm doing TV and not yeah. film. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden, David Fincher says, hey, you want to have this interesting idea for you to be in Gone Girl? Totally different skill set. Yeah. Because well, he, he saw that from that, you know. It's I like, wonder, right? Yeah. I think for him it was it was finding an actor that, uh, that came with uh, baggage Mm. Uh, and then and then going against that baggage. So mm -hmm. I think people that that see me or saw me at that time, uh, from what he said, uh, I was very likable, mm -hmm. and that you sort of trusted me. Mm -hmm. So then he wanted me to be someone who, uh, you in your in your gut, wanted to trust, but yeah. but in the story felt compelled to suspect. So yes. you, so I, that uh, sort of amped up the creepiness. And mm -hmm. for me. The opportunity to do something super subtle uh, and super realistic and super normal in a sort of messed up world story idea was juicy. I was mm -hmm. very excited to be a part of it and very nervous, but it was very technical. So weirdly, the, the television work that I had done. He does a lot of takes. 
ton of takes. Yeah. I had a big sex scene, um, and we had to rehearse and rehearse for hours yeah. before, weeks before we even got onto set, mm. so that every single take was usable footage, because if we were flopping around on a bed, and we wind up in the middle of the bed, but on another take we were over a little bit to the left, he has to choose, he can't use some of each, right? Okay, so yeah. he wanted to make sure that not only was it full of passion and full of spontaneity, but that it was exactly the same every time. <laughs> Which, when you're having sex, doesn't really work that way. <laughs> but it did for us. Uh, so yeah, that was amazing. And But I was just, I loved it. I, I, you rarely get the opportunity as an artist to do the same thing 50 times in a row. Yeah. And some people were really, really bothered by that. Take it personally, think, am I doing something wrong? But you, he's trying to get the best, so that's I think that's great. A perfectionist, you know. To Agreed, get the but yeah. I think he uses he uses the multiple takes as a way to sort of break people down. It's oh, not as that well. if it's not that yeah. after take two, if he loved it, he'd move on. I think his process is to get the actors, the the guys who are moving the camera, everyone who's doing stuff within the take to 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 get over the newness of it. Right. And just get simpler and simpler, and and so that the camera move is second nature. The acting, the sit down, the grabbing, the drink, the, mm -hmm. all of that, isn't uh, wrought with any kind of. So it's like theater in a way. You're getting that kind comfortable of, yeah. on yeah. camera, and yeah. every shot that he does looks like a piece of art. Yes. Wow. We'd do seven or eight takes of a scene, yeah. and he'd stop, and then he'd do another take, and he'd say, yeah, "That." That, um, oh, it's not you. It's <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying what he would say. Yeah. He would say, "See that over there in the background, the, that uh, that vase with the flowers in it." I don't think that should be there. <laughs> this is after eight, nine takes of the scene, mm -hmm. and then I'd look and I, he's, oh, that's so interesting that he's watching so many things at the same time, mm -hmm. enough to be willing to get rid of nine takes worth of good footage because he didn't like the flowers in the back. Yes. But that makes him an artist, right? He's yeah. not just he's not just churning out commercial content he makes things that force you to think wow and then you go from that so that's quiet and subtle creepy mm. and, and then you're Olaf and <laughs> then so what is how do what takes you from that headspace to the other or is that the step in between there's another there's some Hedwig was in between those two Hedwig yeah sorry no it's an important step actually yeah. because Hedwig was a was a physical transformation that oh, yes. I was very nervous about uh, doing because I had never done drag before. I had never walked in heels before. I never really sung that kind of music before. So there were a lot of um, a lot of opportunities in my mind for people to think that I was faking it and maybe mm -hmm. not faking it very well. Um, but when you're by yourself on stage and people are paying a lot of money to see you, you got to turn it up. So thankfully, that show Hedwig was great. A great opportunity to turn mm -hmm. it up with no failure. I didn't have an understudy. There was no safety net, so I had to do all the shows. But Hedvig's not supposed to be a great performer. Mm -hmm. So when I was tired or mm -hmm. vocally or when my body hurt, mm -hmm. that was great. Yeah, right? Yeah. I wasn't doing Oklahoma where I had to be virile yes. and sing perfectly well with great vibrato and have everything sound great. When Hedwig was damaged and uh -huh. not doing so great, it was almost a better show. 
Yeah, because dealing with all those other things with her body and yeah. Well, Hedwig's whole the yeah. de- whole desire, her mm-hmm. whole ideas about um, American existence, mm-hmm. uh, really human existence, is that is that she is broken because of someone else's fault, right? There, there was a guy named Tommy Gnosis that she's chasing around this rock and roll star uh, that was a boy, uh, and and uh, when she was uh, a keeper, like a a nurse. Mm-hmm. And they fell in love, kind of. And then he didn't choose her. And so she's convinced that if if only this would have happened, mm-hmm. then I would be this, right? right? I think that that's a, a common trap that a lot of people feel. Mm-hmm. If I'd have only done these things different, we would not have gotten a divorce and mm-hmm. my life would be totally perfect (laughs) if I'd only gotten on that subway Mm -hmm. uh, then I would have gotten to the thing on time Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have lost the reservation and therefore Mm -hmm. the business meeting would have gone great Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of what ifs and so that was Hedwig's whole journey is is uh, feeling incomplete and uh, that was physicalized with uh, was sort of gender reassignment and everything but it forced me as as Neil to be really out of my element Mm -hmm. and uh, and the freedom to fail, mm-hmm. which is a tricky thing to do when you're mm-hmm. trying to succeed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, when you have the freedom to fail, and you're supposed to take ownership of it. Yeah. In order to succeed, it's yeah. kind of a, a twisted uh, line of thinking. But yeah. in doing so, uh, I'd, I'd never strutted around uh, with more confidence because I didn't need to be so perfect. All kinds of amazing stuff. And he was doing a Netflix show uh, based on these series of unfortunate events, books, and I'm playing, and he wants me to play Count Olaf, who I look nothing like. I was like probably 15 years too young, and uh, and I was in, yeah, because I knew that was a that was a prosthetic, uh, a massive prosthetic change. So I had two and a half hours of makeup in the mornings every day before I went to work. So if it was a 7 a.m. call or something, I was there at 4:30 to get all this stuff on, glue all over my face, fake nose, fake teeth, fake forehead, airbrush spraying. And that was just before the day started. Mm-hmm. And then it was just sort of grand goon, y'all, mm-hmm. big, operatic, uh, angry, performing, gross scenery chewing, but in a show that sort of allows that. And a character, that is supposed to be that. So in a weird way, I've gotten lucky because when you're playing Count Olaf and you're supposed to be a super asshole and think you're incredibly gifted and very, very handsome, then uh, you can just kind of go for broke. So I've been lucky. I keep doing these gigs where I get to I get to be really overacting. (laughs) And And get rewarded for it. rewarded for it, exactly. Creative process founder Mia Funk was fortunate enough to sit down with Neil Patrick Harris. And his interview is, is fascinating, very meaningful for me on a, on a personal note because Neil was really, I think he was the first openly gay person I ever saw on television. And I remember being in high school and having very few gay role models. I, I didn't really know anyone who was gay and I, I grew up in a small town. And there I was, and I remember seeing this person on my screen who just captivated me. And 
showed me that there was room for my voice at the table. So Neil, I thank you. And I'm very excited for folks to, to listen to this interview. me back to your memoir choose your own adventures hasn't been lucky when you've been making these choices sure and then what is it like then the, the process of going to, to writing do you but you find that fun you find it not an isolating experience no I find that isolating and no fun actually oh but I think <laughs> okay. it's I think it's a rewarding challenge right what did you learn about yourself in the writing of your memoir uh, even though albeit it's a, a, a strangely structured memoir I learned how much I how many weird little chapters I've had in my life and how many I've, I have forgotten. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't retain a lot of stuff, so I had to yeah. sit with someone for a long time and literally go year by year and sometimes and think, oh, right, oh, my gosh, right, I did that. I was nominated for a Golden Globe Award uh, in 1987. That seems crazy. Wow. <laughs> I was like at a, a table with time. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. That <laughs> seems like ages ago. Um so I guess I learned a bit about myself. Um, no, I, I probably will. Writing's probably not going to be something I end up doing. I'll probably direct a bit more. All right, yeah. Because what I'm, what I'm getting more skilled at, I guess it's a skill, is figuring out where your place is within mm -hmm. a larger structure. I noticed as you talked about it, it's very uh, visual spatial. For me, it yeah. is, yeah. Because I think it's disrespectful to, for, to, to think about it otherwise, and that's just me. And I and and there's definitely different schools to performing, but I've been on the other side of it as a director, as a producer, mm -hmm. and when someone comes in and they're not reading the lines that have been written, mm -hmm. that have been poured over, that have been chosen, and they're just going and doing their own improvisational things, as fun as it might be, mm -hmm. you still have to say, "Great, and cut. Let's do it again. Let's." say the lines as they're supposed to be you know like we have to yeah. get some that way so then i i hope as an actor i'm able to or as a performer able to quickly notice what is it what where am i is this immersive mm -hmm. theater is this a circus is this a sitcom mm -hmm. is this is this a, a movie for an art house or a movie for the masses is this smurfs yeah. or is mm -hmm. this uh, downsizing Mm -hmm. And then from within that, then who am I? Who am I playing with? Is am I playing with people who need a lot of rehearsal or want to mm -hmm. do have it be very independent? Who's the director? Mm -hmm. You know, what do they want? Do they want me to bring a bunch to the table, or do mm -hmm. they want me to engage with them a lot and figure it out? Do they want me to come at this fresh or super experienced? And those are all questionable answers, right? So that's where I like to do the research because if I'm going to be stomping around acting drunk on stage mm. I suppose I could just not give a shit and just get drunk and stomp around on stage and people sure. could watch me do it um, but I think it's way more important to say to, to value that people have had dinner at a fancy restaurant mm -hmm. and that it's a Wednesday night and not a Saturday night mm -hmm. which means that they're not going to be going buck wild mm -hmm. because they have work tomorrow Mm -hmm. So they're going to be a little more subdued. Like, I just think mm -hmm. it's good to try and evaluate potential outcomes as a performer mm -hmm. and then be able to play and stretch the borders within it, but kind of know your place. Sure. And I guess that I get uh, the benefit of, of a bit of longevity 
and being able to make those decisions. No, it's interesting because you're very, um, well, your experience as an actor, so you're interested in your audience and what the parameters of their imagination is. Hmm. And you talked about writing for children, that's a different audience, mm-hmm. you know, that someone, they're, they're, their imagination is still quite fluid, you know. They're, you know, and their attention span is yeah. short. But yeah, they can go with it. You tell them, you know, totally. <laughs> you can tell them they can fly, and they think, oh, maybe. For sure, yeah. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. You give me the right wings. Absolutely. So, um, no, so it's, but I think it's very important to have that. Otherwise, we are, you know, it's great to have an imagination, but to to be totally unleashed or totally, you know, it's mm-hmm. it doesn't always create the what we want you know we have to and that said i think it's important for anyone listening to this mm-hmm. to, to not spend too much time honoring how disparate i'm talking right i think mm-hmm. the most effective thing for anyone is to figure out what singular thing they're just passionate about sure i don't think it needs to be a singular type of painting or type mm-hmm. of magic trick sure. or type of theater show but it could be performing, or yeah. it could be performing for lots of people, or it could mm-hmm. be singing, or it could be whatever. If you're passionate about it, then when you are when you fail, which will mm-hmm. happen inevitably a lot, mm-hmm. you, you, it doesn't really matter because you have to keep doing it, right? Yes. If I pick up a violin and start playing the violin, I, I, I would be interested to learn the violin. But if, mm-hmm. I, if I played in front of people and it did not go well, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't keep playing the violin too much longer because sure. there's other things I'm more passionate about. Yeah. I could... But there are certain things I just can't stop doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where your creative drive needs to flow. It has I, to be fun. It has to be, the joy has to be there. It has to be what you have to do, yeah. you know. Some people love ordering people around and they're meant to be stage managers. And that's, the, they're, <laughs> and they're amazing at it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, unbelievably gifted, something I could never do. Yeah. But, and, but that's what you should, that, you should follow that passion because rejection's tough and I can't even imagine being a stand-up comic oh gosh or this being is a something. painter <laughs> right because well, that's painter, your painter but in a stand-up comic okay you so have time painting <laughs> yeah right but even but even with that so you have time painting yeah but that's even that even makes it more precious if you have a show that's a solo show yeah and you've had three years to do these paintings right yeah and then you go and you present them to people and then and, I mean that must be very challenging yeah, I guess you have to live with it, I guess. I don't know. I To me, it seems like second nature. But the stand-up comedy, I'd love to, uh, you know, have a whack at. I'm not sure if I could. In fact, I wrote a story. Uh, this is so off-subject. But I wrote a story about, uh, a, you know, Jewish sense of humor, about a, a man, a Jewish guy who kind of alienates everyone with his sense of humor. Hmm. And then he, his wife gives him the ultimatum to sell it. <laughs> he used to sell a kid the thing out of the house. Oh, that's hilarious. And it is bought by a Chine, industrious Chinese guy who makes money out of it. <laughs> oh, wow. Anyway, that's on this That's a lot of taboos. Side. Look at you. <laughs> no, I just, I, so I, I'm intrigued by the idea of being a stand But you've, you do, you've done comedy, but the stand-up comedy is something that. Yeah, I do you, comedy. I do improv comedy yeah. more. I, I, I have, a, I think, a decent innate sense of what I think is funny at least. Mm-hmm. But I'm usually structured by someone else's uh, ideas. It would sure. be very tricky for me. Well, I could probably do it, but I'd be really insecure, mm-hmm. which is not a great feeling. 
of um, writing material, uh, hoping people respond by laughter, and, yeah. which is very subjective, and then standing in front of people uh, who probably aren't very sober, and then yeah. like trying to get them to laugh. I don't know. I would yeah. just be nervous before, during, and after. Not not my thing. But you've taken on this talking about. You've done a lot of like hosting, and mm -hmm. you know the Oscars, the Tonys. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times you've done the Tonys. Um, a few. And and won awards for it. <laughs> yeah. um, and and then you've also done guesting. So are, are you planning? Are you going to do more hosting, like on a more permanent basis, or uh, like mm. a sh considered a show or? Mm, no, not really. I mean, they were fun, but they're one-offs, and I think what makes mm -hmm. them fun is that they only happen once, right? Yeah. The Tonys are exciting because you're showing off what theater has is being performed that season. Yeah. And it only you can really only do it one night. I and love the numbers that you've done. They're just oh, great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. But I think that's an like interesting skill set, too, because you need to be the host that can perform enough initially that people uh -huh. are, are feel like, they've gotten their money's worth uh -huh. but then you're not trying to constantly be performing because it's really not about you you're mm -hmm. hosting a party where other people get to hang out with each other yeah. so you want to be performing but it's a weird line but but handing off a lot which is yeah. kind of nice because you don't have to do it the whole time yeah. but no I don't know I don't know what's next I, I'm, I'm interested in not necessarily being a single color of paint on a palette yeah. but being you know the painter right well you're a father now to mm -hmm. a twins mm -hmm. and uh what do you because this is an educational initiative and i was wondering i mean they're quite young now mm -hmm. they're but, eight so oh well the eight so they are they can are they going to be involved in the arts i don't i don't know the extent in which you involve them or i don't know if they'll be involved in the arts either uh -huh. i feel like again you follow your passion so i'm and they're in the second grade, so I'm intrigued to see what mm -hmm. what they're drawn to. I would keep them away from acting for as long as I'm able, mm -hmm. just because it's kind of a masochistic endeavor sure. uh, with how often people tell you that you're not something enough. Mm -hmm. Just on a human scale, it's hard to be told that you're too old, too fat, too something enough mm. and that you know when you have at eight that's that's harsh that's a harsh world <laughs> you're too old yeah for sure well they're, they're, you're probably not told that to your face right <laughs> but you're still at eight kids are still going into audition for tv shows mm -hmm. and then if they don't you know only one can get it mm -hmm. so then the other 80 people that mm -hmm. that are eight years old that went mm -hmm. in and memorized lines and put mm -hmm. on a cool outfit and got yeah a pep talk from their parents and then they go yeah. in and don't get it it's that's a hard one to process so i will right. i will hope that they can avoid that process um for as long as they can but no i think being a parent's awesome i just it, it, it if anything it makes me feel uh like uh like i'm required to be committed to my decisions mm -hmm. and uh have reason behind my actions mm -hmm. but willing to be totally completely wrong and sure. uh, relent and uh, give in I was much more stubborn before I was a parent wow and it's kind of hard too when you're in an activity which is like playing like uh, being allowed to be a kid your whole life at mm. the same time as being responsible but uh, and to be a parent to be yeah, like, responsible. Uh, You're looking to me for advice. No, it's very, it's a very, yeah. <laughs> I talked about that with my husband just uh, just a couple days ago. Because I said, that's so strange because our job right now, even as a, 
as a performance mm -hmm. is performing knowledge that we know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're you know what acting. I mean? Right, you're acting <laughs> yeah. a bit, but you but they'll see right through it if you if oh. you don't if you're not committed to it. Kids are but, really great anti bullshitters. A hundred percent. But then you're and you're often wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so then when you're wrong after saying this is what I you know this is what's going to happen, but uh -huh. that means that's clearly the bad choice. Mm -hmm. Then what do you do? Do you mm -hmm. apologize? Do you do you ignore it and deny it? I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's it's been very that that end of it is all again a new learning experience. So mm -hmm. I think right now I'm as, as transparent with my kids as ever. I say, mm -hmm. look, I'm listening to a new book on tape about parenting. So right. I'm going to be saying some weird vocabulary words and trying yeah. some stuff, and I hope it works. And if it doesn't, <laughs> give me some feedback. But uh, you might be hearing different styles of me right now, and and all I want is for you guys to be as effective and respectful as you can. That's nice. And did you? So, uh, but do you have a feeling? Because you you know them. Do you have a feeling they would go into the arts or into acting? Do you see their their beginning? You know, because both of their parents are. Um, performers you know yeah I think I think because we as as just beings um, model and mirror uh, our, our experiences and our environments based mm -hmm. on what we've what we've grown up observing um, that because David and I are both extroverts and have performed a lot and perform a lot just to, even when we're not getting paid for it mm. uh that's what they watch and that's what they see so yeah. they're 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 hyper theatrical in their own ways but um that's certainly not all we do yeah and you've come to interview me here in harlem new york of all places uh that's not where either one of us were born i was going to ask you i know you also keep a place in the hamptons and yeah yeah do you want to impart the you know the smaller town experience to them and yeah well i want to impart experience to them uh -huh. living in southern california as temperate and um and lovely and as it is uh, you you're in this weird little bubble world where you're having to create your own uh day your own itinerary all the time you go uh -huh. get into your car and you drive to your place and you get out of your place and you go meet with people you have lunch mm -hmm. and then you get out and you have to get back in your car, in your little bubble car, and you listen to your music or po podcasts or whatever, mm -hmm. and then you go to your next place. And sometimes it, it just feels like these all these little bubble people are just maybe intersecting, but you're not really sure. Mm -hmm. And with that, for me, came pressure because then I thought, we haven't been downtown mm -hmm. in three years. Let's go downtown. Uh, yeah. They're walking around. Well, why, why? I don't know. We even know what I'm supposed to be doing down here. Yeah. But in New York, the city, the environment is is a character within your show you know sure. we walk around we we're actively engaging with people that we wouldn't normally we're learning from those people you're having to be aware of a lot of different things at the same time so i i really like city living i really like immersive experience as education um and because of that though i don't want them to only live in the city and get super right. hardened to that at eight. Yeah, in a sense. So uh, since I grew up in small town New Mexico, David grew up in small town Michigan, um, we both benefited by having space. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so we got a, yeah, we just got a place in, in uh, East Hampton mm -hmm. so that the kids can run around and build forts and not have to worry about not holding a taser. I don't know. 
Yeah. Oh I gosh, no I don't have No, but you know it's so true. A I mean, deer. I had You could taste a deer. I've always lived in cities, but then I've had that opportunity um and I just think about, you know, we discuss it with you must have seen in your lifetime like the I felt more innocent. You know, when I look at young people now, I feel as you say they have devices. Right? They're already like little businessmen. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> they're like you know, they already have a personal assistant in their pocket. Sure. And and I feel like we we just kind of we could just run around and pretend we had space for imaginations and we had space to get bored even which Hmm. fuels the imagination because we had to entertain ourselves and so what are those things that you try to teach you know you know young people in general or your children you know to try to preserve that innocence and that the wildness of the imagination as we're approached by technology I think it's important for people to be super uh, hungry to try new things and uh, to try and become okay with uh, not being good at things initially, you know, mm-hmm. so that you, you're not stopping yourself from going out and building a lean-to with a bunch of sticks in the backyard or mm-hmm. you're not stopping yourself from taking some watercolor paints and just painting mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I lived a lot of years where I would buy the stuff and then yeah. I would think oh, but I don't have the right paper and, I, and, uh, and I'm not sure if this brush is I don't even know how to clean it when I'm done so I'm just uh, not going to paint right now yeah. <laughs> right and I think there's something great about being a parent with kids that you just get out a hot glue gun and you or you go and you yeah. pick pine cones and you just make stuff and then yeah. it's terrible but it's so exciting and then there's yeah. something great in it being terrible and as you're mm-hmm. doing it you think oh I could do this differently so the more the more options for experiences you can have I think the more you can learn, right? Mm-hmm. If you just have your iPad, you can buy new apps and download yeah. new games. But you are following a path. You're yeah. on the path. And that's, believe me, I love virtual reality. I mm-hmm. love all that stuff. But I recognize that by doing that, you're firing and working very specific motor skills uh, at the expense of others. And some of those others are, like you say, getting, mm-hmm. getting lost and finding some random thing you wouldn't think about. And that could change your whole life. So if I can provide as a parent the opportunities for our kids to see as much of the city, the house, the school, the world as they can, it'll just provide them more opportunity to um, find out what they like individually and what they're drawn to. And once they declare what they're drawn to, then I hope that's what they do. Right, and I know you said a certain amount of time. I would like to ask you about, it's not influences, but works that have been, and I hope Pauline, Pauline's been very quiet. She's a mm-hmm. set design uh, lighting student from oh, cool. SUNY Purchase. So you can come in and ask a question right. if you want. She's been very polite. But I do want to ask, yeah, pipe, pipe in there. Um, but I do want to ask, you know, what work, what, what works, you know, made you want to become an actor or that you saw this, like, wow, this would be so great to be involved in this. You know what? I can think of two. They're both yeah. uh, live things. Mm-hmm. When I when I first uh, started acting and came to Los Angeles for a one-week job or something, I was with my dad, and we went to see uh, a production of a play called Fences. Oh, August Wilson. Mm-hmm. And James Earl Jones was the star of it. Mm-hmm. And and I remember we I was just the whitest kid 
ever oh. from small town New Mexico in this big city of Los Angeles, uh, which isn't super diverse, at least it didn't feel that way. Uh-huh. And then I'm sitting there watching this play about uh, a lower middle class uh, African-American man in Baltimore and his family. And I just remember being so moved, mm. moved to tears at 13, 14 years old a lot of, about, uh, in, about a world that I really knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. Um, not even from school, really. I mean, a few pages as you skip through things, but mm-hmm. certainly not this feeling empathy for this mm-hmm. specific man. Mm-hmm. And, and Lynn Thigpen was the wife, and she was peeling potatoes mm-hmm. on a rocking chair and uh, monologuing ire at his character. And I, it was so moving. And I did think, even back then, I was I recognized the impact that's that that the theater can have uh, on someone that that isn't even anything like what they're like, right? You don't have yeah. to see Talk you about don't have to be it. Asian yeah. to see Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. Is that the name of the movie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. You know what I mean? You, you don't have to just see like like similar people doing similar things, and and the theater was had a big impact on me after seeing Fences. And then another time I was in L.A., I went and saw Cirque du Soleil Mm -hmm. uh, when it was, had just started. In fact, it was the very first tent show they did called, uh, it was before Nouvelle Experience, which was also unbelievable. Um, It might have just been called Cirque du Soleil. Mm -hmm. Um, Wait, no, it was called Fantasy, Symphony, Fantasy, maybe, I don't know. That's good. That's good podcasting material right there. <laughs> I went and saw the Cirque du Soleil, and uh, there were no animals in it, and these people were doing the most unbelievable physical feats. And this uh, a comedian named Denis Lacombe uh, from France was the was the clown, and he was so funny. Mm-hmm. And there was all it, I just had never in my life applauded more, and just didn't even know that these families of generations are doing this act on a bicycle and then a trapeze and it was mm-hmm. intimate and I my hands hurt from clapping so hard oh. and so I think more than anything I by both of those experiences was sort of moved by the idea of going to see going to experience mm-hmm. taking the step to see something new right because we, days are filled with things that happen, and you have to sort of determine whether you're going to make choi- make choices for things to happen, or just react to things that are happening around you. And why not choose to go do things? Mm-hmm. You're not going to see art unless you go to the museum. That's true. We you don't know? have to get off our hinds and. Yeah. Uh, but that's what makes it memorable I think it's that physical being in the physical space I mean I love film too and I love these solitary things 100% but but there's a different experience about going to an art film to see a movie that you really want to see and watching the same movie on an airplane screen because you're flying with the earbuds in yeah right exactly still is a good movie but but there's a there's difference between Mm -hmm. looking at art on your unbelievable 4k screen Mm -hmm. and and going and going up the escalator and actually seeing mm-hmm. the actual piece of art 
it's a I different think, experience. Oh, it's very the different. eyes are seeing the same thing, mm-hmm. but the experience of going, being willing to go do it, yeah, makes it ten times more important to me. I think you know that's what we're the this generation is losing out a lot of. I mean, I even remember this dates me. I think I was like five or something. I remember going to some of those old, you know, the movie palaces. Nice. And they still had, they had organist. <laughs> yes. Nice. That's Sorry. fantastic. No, they still have a few of those. exciting. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, and they bring around. They still have some in Paris. I live in Paris. She nice. lives in Paris sometimes. Nice. Um, and where they bring around the concessions with yeah. the, they show you to your seat. So even you know, cinema can, can be like that. I still remember it. But uh, theater yeah. that way too. I mean, yeah. Well, there's of course, some, theater. Yeah. But not really, of course, because now in New York. People are wearing shorts and T-shirts to see big Broadway shows, which, in my soul, hurts. I appreciate that they're paying the money and that they're actually that they're experiencing it. But, but I think you experience a theater piece differently if you've if you've made a night of it, if you've gotten dressed up and you're respecting it by going. I don't think you have to be in a proper suit and tie, or a fancy dress or something. But you know, if you're watching your uncle at a at a potluck lunch doing a, a magic trick, yeah, you're not as in, invested as if you've gotten dressed up and are going to the magic castle mm-hmm. and, you know, you've paid your entrance fee and you're sitting in a chair. You're, your attention you're is a, different. Your yeah, posture is different. 100%. Yeah. So that would, be, that would be my advice to the youngsters. Yeah, to go out, experience as much as possible. And there's so many, you know, like matinees or student, uh, you know, if you if you look for it, um, you know, and, and, and even free events for students, you know. For sure, but that's you yeah. have to go out and do it mindfully. Like you have mm-hmm. to you have to do it with the knowledge that that's why you're doing it and that's what will happen. Because mm-hmm. I just believe that when you, if you build it, they will come. You know, if you, if you go to a book club, if you mm-hmm. go to a poetry reading thing, mm-hmm. making that step means that something else is going to happen. It doesn't mean yeah. you may be a poet necessarily, but you'll mm-hmm. meet like-minded people and you, something will spark in you. Maybe. I don't know. But, you mm-hmm. you know, you have to you have to go out there, arms open. Mm-hmm. I do wonder about how we can introduce it more into our educational system because a lot we're talking about f- funding of the arts being mm-hmm. slashed and mm-hmm. um, people thinking it's superfluous, but I don't know. I mean... I think having a strong imagination helps you in any field, or com- the, all the communication skills and all those things, confidence building. and. Yeah, go to a park. Go yeah. uh, roller skate. Yeah. Do random things because you want to see what happens, what comes from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Might as well. Yeah, yeah. To, the, 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 to risk failures in, in order to succeed, as sure. you say. Pauline, do you have a question you want to ask? Um, well, I'm scenic designer cool. um, at SUNY Purchase um, and I haven't quite gotten into the concentration the main like focus because the first year I'm a freshman the first year you kind of work in each aspect mm. and get experience in each um, but as a scenic designer um, one of the big things that I'll have to focus on is how you know sets interact with how actors interact with the sets and all of that and how everything comes together. So um, as an actor on stage, like, does that like play a lot with like how you present the role or how you interact with everything going on? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it becomes, a, the set is such a tell for what the night's gonna be like. 
because I've seen shows that had very little set and I felt like I was transported into worlds. Mm. I've, I've seen shows with big sets where it was intentionally stoic and stayed and was supposed to feel kind of um, old and fancy for, for that, those reasons. So I think the environment is super important, whether it's uh, a giant set that moves or, or a lighting texture smells. I think all of that plays into it and to recognize that it does. I'm a bit of a whore for, for sets that move around, mm-hmm. maybe because I'm a magician and I like, like, I don't know, I like tracks in the stage and I like revolves and I get mm-hmm. bored. I just saw a play on Broadway and it's, everyone loves it. And it's just it's, it's one set, and they all come and go, and they talk, and I just want I just wanted that set to move or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just um, for a uh, class project, I just got to um, do a backstage tour at School of Rock the Musical. Fun. Um, and they have things flying on and off stage and coming down in the fly like constantly. The whole set's always moving, and it's so interesting to see how that all works and how it the characters interact with the pieces when they're moving or how they move certain things off stage while like sets are also moving around them and just it is so much cooler when there's like movement going on with the sets rather than it just being like a stationary single thing so I think that's like really cool yeah it also feels like it feels like that is a whole other level right if you see School of Rock it's great but then you have to also think, I wonder what's even happening backstage. <laughs> How do these yeah. sets move around? And then when you see it, yeah. it's even more mind-blowing. Wow, they had yeah. to plot that out, rehearse it, tech it, fix it, and then do it at night after night with nothing going wrong. It's, yeah, it's the, 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 that backstage stuff has always been something I was very, very excited about. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interview producers on this podcast were Max Johnson and George Menz. Digital media coordinator is Yu Young Lee. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio.